there, Dreamfinder here. <clears throat> Sorry, Ron Schneider here, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 35 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. This episode pretty much marks the one-year anniversary of the show. I kind of thought I'd be a little closer to 50 episodes by this point, but it was just about this time last year, it was July 14th or so, that episode one was released. So thank you for being with me for a full year. I hope you've been enjoying the episodes, and for those of you who haven't been around that much time, just think, with 35 episodes, it's not that hard to catch up, and I had some really good interviews early on. The audio quality has improved over time, but the guests were fantastic, and so I encourage you to go back and listen to the older episodes that you might have missed. Here's looking forward to at least 35 more as we go into our second year. Okay, apparently I just need to stop promising when I'm going to get the next show out. Every time I do, something interferes. So instead, I'll just say that new episodes will come out as often and as regularly as I can get them out. I value every single one of you who listens to Stories of the Magic, and I want to provide a quality product to you. In this episode, we head back to the wilds of Adventureland for a fun conversation with Kyle Crocker, a former skipper on the world-famous Jungle Cruise at Disneyland and current host of the Tales from the Jungle Cruise podcast. In this episode, Kyle talks about how he got started working for Disneyland and what he did there, the special memory he has of the Jungle Cruise as a kid, being a Disney California Adventure cast member first at the Malibuomer and the Orange Stinger, two attractions that are no longer there, telling Shaq that he couldn't ride the Malibuomer, the difference between a ride and an attraction, sort of, Starting on Jungle Cruise, including some of what training was like, the most fulfilling thing he did while working at the Disneyland Resort, and what made it so, what makes a good Jungle Cruise skipper, how he kept the attraction fresh and interesting for himself and his guests, and with the number of trips he had around the jungle, I can't imagine that it was easy, but he sure makes it sound easy. Dealing with off days, both personally and from environmental challenges, you know, little things like rain, heat, ash from nearby fires, that sort of thing. Uh, a funny story about doing tours with hearing impaired guests and their interpreters. The Tales from the Jungle Cruise podcast that he hosts, and moving from Jungle Cruise to several other attractions. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. Have you ever wanted to share something with someone just because? Well, we do a lot. So we started a podcast about, well, whatever we want. My name is Joyce. And I'm her lovely husband, Al. Uh, well, you know what I mean. And we're the hosts of the Disneyland podcast, Tales from the Mouse House. And the Amazing Race podcast. 
Fast Forward. And I'm one of the co-hosts of the MASH 4077th podcast. And you'd think with all of these podcasts, we'd run out of things to share. But then you'd be wrong. In our new show, Just Because, we're going to share all the things that, well, just don't fit into any of our other podcasts. Yep, like videos of our puppy Kate as she plays with the water bottle. Mm -hmm. Maybe some episodes chatting about one of our favorite TV shows. Like Lost? Uh Uh-huh. Or maybe an audio play Al has written. And we'll even have episodes contributed by others who have something to share but just don't want to start their own podcast. You never know what you'll find on this show. Why? Just because. Visit us at justbecausepodcast.com and in iTunes. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. I've said many times before that for a lot of us, Disney gets in our blood. My guest this week certainly fits that description. As a cast member, Kyle Crocker called the world-famous Jungle Cruise home for much of his time working at Disneyland, and now he has a podcast devoted to those amazingly entertaining skippers, Tales from the Jungle Cruise. The Jungle Cruise is one of my favorite attractions, so I've been really looking forward to this conversation, and he's hit several other places in the park, too, so we're going to kind of wander all around a bit. Kyle, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Randy, uh, it's great to, uh, great to be in the virtual uh, internet lands, as I like to, to call them the internet part of the Disney experience. Yes, indeed. And it seems like it's getting larger and larger all the time. It does. It does. So yeah, the whole thing about Disney being in my blood, I don't want people to think that I'm a jungle vampire or anything like that. Uh, (laughs) That would be a misconception. I am, I am as human as everyone else. That's your story. We'll stick to that. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, actually uh, more than Disney getting into your blood, the jungle water gets into your blood. You can't help that. Well, that's partially because of how toxic it is. But um, right, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, how you got started working at Disneyland, and then we'll start high on what you did there, and then you know jump into the different parts. Yeah, no, absolutely. Keep it uh, kind of simple. When I was thirty, I was um, back in uh, two thousand two thousand one. I was working for a large textile company. Uh, carpet business and I was a regional manager and I got tired of it and I retired uh, and I got a paid off my bills got a new car got a divorce and went to go work at Disney's California Adventure so pretty much the standard story, it is it's exactly I think it. that's pretty much you know uh, it, it's always the joy of you know when you can kind of have a midlife course correction and I actually turned that into <laughs> to on and off for the course of eight years uh, having a number of different roles throughout the resort but yeah, so wow. no, it was uh, it was a life change, and I I didn't expect that it was going to be more than maybe six months while I was changing jobs, and um, yeah, it ended up being a lot longer of a of a time with the resort. So okay, so what was there anything in particular that got you interested in working at Disneyland, or was it just convenient? You know, I was a um, I had a lot of friends who were working for the resort, and I had a friend who was a lead at Interventions. Uh, Miss Jenny Jones, who uh, was fantastic and who, uh, as a friend, kind of said, you know, if you're not doing uh, anything or you want to take some time off, come on down and see how the casting process works. Uh, At the time, it was uh, one of those situations where with California Adventure opening, they had more jobs than people. uh, So they were Mm -hmm. happy to to place people uh, very quickly. Um, But I I mean, I had had my my honeymoon uh, from my first, well, 
my first wife, I guess I'm having a second one coming up here. I like to schedule those. Uh, <laughs> but way back in uh, 1992 or 93, we came down to Disneyland for our honeymoon. Uh, it was always, uh, even though I wasn't in the California area for most of my life, I always was just aware of the Disney uh, cachet and properties and all that. But yeah, it had only uh, been to Disneyland uh, twice before I'd moved down to California. So, but it's funny when I was when I was eight years old when I came down uh, 34 years ago. Um, I do remember that that the Jungle Cruise was the ride at the time that impressed me the most. I mean, that was the one thing that and the the uh, sword outside the carousel were the only two really clear memories that I have of that trip. Um, way way back when 1979 i believe it was wow interesting any idea what it was uh about the sword and the stone that impressed made that impression on you i mean i understand jungle cruise well i i think it's just you know any kid who grows up who has you know who's into reading and you know i'd read a lot of fantasy books and had seen the movie and just being there in front of king arthur's sword was uh, a mighty thing for any child to be to be there for Oh, I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, and it's nice that the sword and the stone are still there, even if Merlin and the show are not. Yep. So. Well, but I think that's, yeah, I think that's one of those things they can bring back easily during peak seasons or, you know, it's a pretty simple thing. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. So, I right, know you said that you started actually over in uh, California Adventure. Yeah, I was over, uh, I wasn't with the opening, opening crew, but the, the group of hires right after that for Malaboomer and the Orange Stinger, uh, two rides that are now gone. And I would like to say that my having worked them has nothing to do with their disappearance. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I worked, uh, it's funny. I worked Malaboomer for months and I never rode the attraction even a single time. Just scared the heck out of me. I don't think I would even want to get close enough to work it. Oh, it was it was <laughs> it was entertaining to work. I just didn't want to go on the ride. I mean, it just was never one of those ones that and I'm sorry, it was a ride, not an attraction. That's one of those few that fall into that category. Um, but yeah, no, it uh, it was a little terrifying. I just I'm not big on the whole, you know, shoot yourself three or four hundred feet up in the air and free fall kind of concept. It's just something against my uh, self-preservation mode was part of that. Yeah, yeah. See, that's why I wouldn't want to work it. I'd be afraid somebody would somehow trick me to get on it, mm-hmm. and then I'd be stuck there. Well, it was so. it was great though because people like money would fall from pockets on a regular basis, or mm. not as much fun when it's coins. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was always part of the danger. And then they installed the umbrellas for us to stand under because guests uh, were continually throwing coins down toward the ground when they were up high. Of course, because them accidentally falling out isn't enough. Guests have to throw them and see what happens. Yeah, I had a fun time when I when we were opening the attraction or, uh, in the early days. Uh, I had to tell Shaquille O'Neal that he was not able to ride the Malibumer because he didn't fit in the uh, restraints. His torso to shoulder size was just his, uh, too long to fit in those safety restraints. So I was the one who had to tell Shaq that he couldn't ride that one. And then he, oh, wow. and, and then he went over to uh, the Orange Stinger and broke it. Because uh, they didn't have a weight <laughs> restriction at the very start of it, and Shaq's weight was heavy enough that it bent one of the the uh, safety uh, bar or support bars toward the top of the attraction. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> so then they. So how did he take it when you told him that he couldn't ride the Malibu? Oh, oh he uh, no, Shaq's great. He has a great sense of humor. So I think he understood that we're not going to be able to squish him into a smaller package for any reason. And but right. 
Yeah, Kobe actually would come before park opened, uh, before it was, and he actually would ride uh, as part of the test groups for the uh, California Screaming. He, really? Yeah, he, uh, he he loved the the concepts. Yeah, they were there before the park had, had even opened to the public. Wow. So interesting. I had no idea. VIPs. <laughs> yep. Um, now, when we were talking, when you first talk, mentioned the Malaboomer, you made a distinction, and I've never heard if there's a technical dividing line, so I'm curious. Ride versus attraction. Uh, everything at Disneyland is an attraction, uh, with the exception of one thing. Do you know what that is? There's only one ride at Disneyland. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride? Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Everything else is an attraction, so. Okay. Now, you you described the Malaboomer oh, as joking, a ride. joking. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I could see where you'd get that. There, from. there wasn't much of an there wasn't much of an attraction on that one for me. But <laughs> right. it's always it's always one of the jokes that we had when I found uh, young ladies that not young young but ladies who I was in the the same age category with that I was working at uh, Jungle or uh, Indiana Jones. The pickup line was always, you know, we have a mutual attraction. And that's, <laughs> that never worked. Not really, I can't imagine. I don't know why. I don't either. Um, so you worked, uh, Malibuomer and Orange Stinger. Yep. And then, uh, and then you left Disneyland and then came back. Yeah. I left, left and came back, left for, uh, about eight or nine months. I had a little freelance job that I, uh, had picked up in the middle there. And so I, um, left in 2002, came back in 2003. And when I went to the hiring process, they, uh, gave me a one-on-one and they said, well, you know, where would you like to work at? And the difficulty early on with California Adventure was that it had very short hours. So mm-hmm. it was difficult to work on a part-time basis, and it was very hard to get full-time hours because the people over there had seniority because a lot of them had moved over from Disneyland. So it was very hard to make money as a cast member who didn't have any seniority over at California Adventure. So I, I said that I would prefer to work at Disneyland. Jungle Cruise was my number one uh, choice. And I was put over there without any question. Wow. Impressive. So, well, not, not really. <laughs> it's not, not <laughs> okay, it sounds impressive to me. It sounds impressive. No, it was, uh, it was actually at the time, it was still pre 50th anniversary. So it isn't like it is now where for every, uh, job opening they have, they get 20 applicants. I mean, it was kind of the other direction back then where they still sent recruiters out to colleges to try to bring uh, people in as cast members. It was, it was a different universe back in 2003. Yeah. I know when it first opened and in the early years, it was similar to how it is now. And then somewhere over the years that changed. And well, and I think, I think that was just a nature of society as, as you know, the resort was going through the seventies and eighties, particularly the eighties when there was so much other diversion to be had out there. Mm-hmm. There wasn't the financial priority on, on keeping it up to date and bringing in new attractions and, and things of that nature. And then, you know, obviously for the 50th anniversary, um, and bringing, uh, bringing in California adventure in, uh, 2001, that really made it more of a, a whole resort, so we started seeing the kind of traffic that Orlando used to get. And it's sad because, I mean, I'm sure there are days where I, I wish that there were slow days. There aren't anymore. There's no right. there's no off season at Disneyland. Every day is packed. Mm-hmm. Some days are more packed than others. But, yeah, it, you don't have that uh, relaxing thing where you can go and, uh, you know, ride four rides in an hour. Right. Yeah. 
especially not if you try to do it in the middle of the day. You know, get there first thing you might be able to do it, but only because you rushed and beat the crowd that is surely coming. Yeah, it's just it's it's a different uh, different range. You know, they um, and this was not this is not an official park statistic, but at some point I want to say that the uh, Orange County Register had done a like a satisfaction survey for how many attractions that people were happy if they visited during a day. Uh, and the number was six. <laughs> if they got six <laughs> things on a, on a full day at the park, they were happy. So it's, it's a bit scary that that's, that's where we're at with it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's still enjoyable. I mean, there's not, I'm not, uh, one thing, I am not a Disney basher in any way, shape or form. I am at times perhaps slightly critical, um, but it comes from a place of love and caring and smart assery. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm pretty much in the same boat, I think, so to speak. Um, I, and speaking well, of the same boat. That's good. If you were ever in my boats, and I, I have a great sympathy for you. <laughs> speaking of that boat. Did, did um, you want to talk about Jungle Cruise now, Randy? Is that? Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. So, yeah, no, came, came over to the jungle in 2003, worked uh, on and off at Jungle uh, until 2008. Also spent some time over at the big green building of Indiana Jones, um, with, uh, Mr. Lincoln over at the opera house. Uh, I spent some time with that, uh, Disney university, which, uh, of the entire time that I was at the resort, um, was, I think the most fulfilling thing that I did. Uh, and if I went back in a heartbeat, I would, I would, uh, make an attempt to work with the university again. Um, but primarily my love was jungle. I spent as many hours as possible over there. And, uh, it's led me, uh, to a very interesting, uh, uh, time when I was there and to the activities since I've left the resort as I'm teasing, as I'm teasing what, uh, people may not know unless they've read the show notes. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so what was training like, uh, well, with, at, at the jungle cruise, I think it's in most attractions have a, a three to four day training process. Jungle is really, um, an interesting animal. Obviously it's, it's one of the day one attractions that was there the day that uh, Walt opened Disneyland. Uh, mm-hmm. it is, um, it's a legacy attraction that's tied in very much to, in my opinion, to the core beliefs of the company and the true life adventure series, the way that, um, it continues to have a sense of wonder that's tied into a one-on-one experience. And I think that's unique throughout the resort. I think that it is uh, kind of an animal in and of itself. And uh, there really aren't a lot of other experiences that people get to have in the park that, that uh, is of the same type as, as the jungle cruise. Uh, But because of that, during the training process, it means that you are not only learning how to operate a vehicle, but you are learning how to spiel the attraction, and that is uh, a challenge. It's a little bit trickier than if you're just learning uh, how to run, you know, Dumbo. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine it's even trickier because you do have a, if not flexible, at least sort of a modular script to work with, where it's not at this point you're going to say exactly these oh, words, sure. and then at this point you're going to say – like I not too long ago interviewed Rachel Schur, who did the Backlot Tour at the time it was Disney MGM Studios. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of flexibility in that spiel, but not much. For the most part, it was here's what you talk about in each spot. You know, Jungle Cruise is a lot more – yeah. Well, it open than that. it has to be in certain ways because there's so much um, 
the timing of it is is important. I think you know people ask me what makes a good skipper and and what doesn't. I think it's an understanding of t- of uh, timing, uh, and being able to read the situation because there are times where you'll have a boat up ahead that for one reason or the other is going slower uh, and you have to either slow down or make up the gap. You have to time your jokes to the rotation of the river, to the, the number of guests that are in the queue on a day when there's a low volume, you can take, you know, an extra minute or so out in the jungle on a day when it's packed, you want to, you know, make sure as many guests are having the experience that they can. So you, you rotate it through a little faster and that's if, you know, if those things are, are in your consciousness. Sure. Okay. Um, so when you got the spiel, is that something that you just zipped around the jungle, so to speak, a bunch of times and tried out different material or did you take, take it home and practice the different things? Kind of, how did you get all of that material into your head while operating the vehicle at the same time? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, you know, one of the things that I can't go into too, too great of detail and still have a rehire status, um, sure. a lot of the specifics of the Disney training. It's one of the things that, that is actually protected under the non-disclosure agreements. Uh, mm-hmm. what I will say is that, um, the primary emphasis is always safety. That that's the key to the, to any of the, uh, attractions and, and the entire attractions line is the safety of the guests and the safety of the workers. Um, so a lot of it was, was getting the feel of the boats, handling the boats, uh, being able to, to safely operate that. And that was always the first priority. And the spiels come secondary to that, which is good because it gives people a, a chance to kind of pause and and uh, get a feel for it as they go into their into their uh, time. Usually, you know, by the second day, you're doing some spieling. By the third day, you're spieling with guests in the boat. By the fourth day, you're being signed off for someone who is is comfortable with that. Wow. Okay. So once you got past training, how long did you actually work Jungle Cruise. Uh, well, as far as how 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 long in the day? I mean, because there were days back then, back in overtime days, that were twelve hours easily. Uh, and you would take uh, on average four trips per hour, um, three to four trips. Uh, they were usually eight to ten minutes, so you were out about forty-ish uh, trips into the jungle on a regular day, thirty-five to forty trips a day. Wow. How do you keep it interesting for yourself and for the guests when you're doing it that many times a day, every day? Uh, you make human contact. I mean, that's that's the base of it. Is you know you have to, uh, you know, talk to people, ask their names, ask them where they're from, have a good time with it, um, you know, because yeah, it's it's one of the uh, the catch twenty twos of the Jungle Cruise is that, you know, it is easy to, you know say the same things over and over and over again, but you have to make it entertaining, which leads some people to want to go off script or who make me you know, make some people want to, uh, and I, and I've never told an off script joke, never in my entire day today. Um, no, of course not. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that, you know, it actually is a challenge because you have guests that are going to come in and who are never going to have heard that script before. And you also have guests that have heard it a thousand times. And you mm-hmm. have to have a balance between almost a nostalgia for the attraction and keeping it fresh and interesting and having a great attitude. And, and it's tough. You know, if you're doing that many trips a day, sometimes it's easy just to blur the words together and you're talking too fast. You don't realize it. Uh, it, it there are a lot of nuances to the Jungle Cruise. Yeah, I I had no idea. I figured it was a somewhat difficult job. I didn't. It sounds much more difficult than I thought it was. Well, especially for people who yeah. aren't 
aren't, uh, you know, outgoing performer mentality people. Um, one thing I will say about jungle is I think it tends to attract people that are good for jungle, but you definitely get people who come through who just aren't the right fit and they, they usually will, uh, be relocated to an area that fits better for them. Yeah. I mean, I've ridden the jungle cruise. I couldn't tell you how many sure. times, probably I, not as many as you. I, I couldn't tell you either. <laughs> I'm, I did the math one time and, uh, figured that I've had about two and a half million guests on our, on that have gone through and been impacted by my uh, performance or my actions at Disney. Wow. So that's an incredible number. It's very hard to find another job that you have that kind of impact with that number of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. 48 people, 30 to 40 times a day, five to six days a week at times, carry that out over 50 plus weeks. It's, it's math, which I'm not good at. Um, <laughs> but for those of you who are, you can go ahead and, uh, run those numbers and then be content in the concept that you were able to get a number. So, but yeah, that will make some of us very happy. Yes. The math, math nerds in the audience. So exactly. No. And, and, you know, in jungle throughout all of the time that, that it's been there, I mean, it has a reputation when you, when you mention to people that, you know, people say, what did you do when you were working for Disneyland? And you say you're a jungle cruise skipper. It's a totally different, uh, response and respect than you get. If you say that you were, um, you know, working at Big Thunder or what, whatever else it is. Jungle Cruise has a, a, a much deeper cachet of uh, gravity, gravity, gravitas of the way people look at you when, when that's where you worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think of very many other attractions that have that same kind of resonance. Yep. You know, I mean, monorail comes to mind. Oh, that, like the Dapper Dans. Or, I mean, there are, yeah. there, are, there, are, there are roles that are out there, but uh, I think that, it's a very iconic role within the park. And I think it, uh, you know, I still, I still say, and I'll put my money on this any day of the week. I think it's, it is the anchor of the resort. I think there's a lot of great things that are there. The castle's great, but I think without, uh, without the jungle cruise, you know, that's the one that, that, uh, they just can't ever take out. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's something that other parks, other, uh, companies can't duplicate very well either because even if they get the mechanics of it, I don't think they really understand it. Well, also the fact that it's such an iconic, you know, thing it's, it's, I don't think anyone can duplicate it and not be obvious that they are. I mean, there's tons of pop culture references to the jungle cruise. Uh, it was featured on South park, uh, last season. It was on there. Um, it's been on homestarrunner.com. I mean, there's, uh, you know, their culture is peppered with Jungle Cruise references that are out there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and hopefully, as people listen to this, they might have a little bit more uh, empathy, if you will, for if they have a ride and the skipper is just off. Oh you know, yeah, it's just not working very well. It's like, okay, yes, you know, you're on vacation or you know, you're here to get away and be entertained and all of that. But at the same time, this is a person doing this and it's with everything that's going on here, every once in a while they're going to be a little bit off. I'm, I'm so. sure there are days that I sucked. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, and you would come in and you would have a headache or um you know, I mean, it, it, there were challenging days. Uh, I have been on the jungle cruise in torrential rain. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been on the jungle cruise in 30 degree weather. Um, Ooh. I have been on the jungle in 115 degree weather. Um, so I, you know, I was there, um, 
when we had the really heavy forest fires up near Brea, I want to say it was. Um, and it, l- luckily, that was still when the park didn't have great attendance numbers uh, year round. And it was a point where I was working at the opera house and the sky turned black and red. And it, it was uh, noon and it was as dark as it would have been after sunset. Oh, wow. And it, it was snowing. It actually snowed at Disneyland. It was just snowing ash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, everyone's car was co- coated in ash that day. But uh, no, I mean, so I've, you know, you work every situation. So, of course, you're going to have good days and and on off days. But I think for the most part, people go out there, they put on their A game, they interact with the guests, they have a great time. You know, it's it's a um, it's a very positive and affirming attraction to work if you want that want it to be that way. Absolutely. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I went to Walt Disney World for the first time and the first time that we rode their Jungle Cruise. Uh, we were sitting right up front. So like we were the first ones to board um, and we're sitting on the right-hand side of the boat. So we're right up next to the skipper. And my wife and I were pretty much the only ones who were responding to the jokes and everything that was going on. And when I realized that, we kind of kicked up our responses a notch and really played up to her. Uh, and, you know, uh, at that one, it was a female skipper, so that explains yes. why. That ex- <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 by the way, I don't buy into that one. I actually will tell you that it's it's probably because in Orlando it's eighty percent people who don't speak English. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, so that's that's difficult. I've had um, groups of entire boats of uh, it was a Japanese tour group, and they all came through in matching suits and ties and shirts. Um, I think I, most of them were wearing the same pair of glasses, of prescription glasses. And uh, we went around the jungle, and I just did my regular spiel and silence, dead, not a single nothing. They just looked, and all the heads rotated in unison. It was a little creepy. So I just did, I just did, you know, my regular spiel, uh, thank them, let them get off the boat, and at the very last, the last two guys, one turns to the other and says, "Hey, that guy was pretty funny," and uh, I was, <laughs> I was incensed. But yeah, it's it's yeah. it's tough when you have guests who don't uh, who don't speak English and uh, have no clue what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a lot of the case. But uh, at that one, you know, there's that tunnel mm-hmm. that you go yeah, the through. Temple. Which, the temple. Yes, which presents one of my favorite jokes in the Walt Disney World script, mm-hmm. the root canal. <laughs> it is. And I, I've had a, I've had a number of uh, of uh, Walt Disney World skippers. Uh, on the thing that I do that I'm sure we'll be bringing up at some point. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, I've talked to Walt Disney World skippers, and they just basically say the temple is a joke sucker. You, there's, you can't do anything there. You just have mm-hmm. to you know, hit the throttle, go through it slowly, get some oohs and ahs, listen to the soundtrack, and move move through it. Uh, yeah. it'll, it'll just eat any sound that's in there, so there's really no way to do jokes in there. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. She hit the throttle to get through, and then she was able to kind of sit down for yeah. a little bit and she sat down leaned over to us and she was like thank you so much for laughing and participating yeah. <laughs> so well and you know jungle yeah. in orlando it's it's um for the, those people who have not been on their attraction it is a totally different theme um it doesn't have that closed canopy feel that uh, disneyland has it, it takes up i over double the physical space and your boat has a lot more space uh, between the the uh, edges of the water, uh, edges of the river, 
across. So it feels a lot larger. But they also have a much cartoonier um, take on the scenes that are going on. Their gorillas are much more cartoon looking. Uh, their human characters are, are quite obviously um, done for more of a humorous impact, where I think the ones in, in Anaheim are a little bit more, almost a little scary, a little more, you know, uh, to that normal kind of a, a straight tone. Right. They're much truer to the original true life adventures concept with humor overlaid on it instead of starting from a place of humor. Sure. And so, and, and I think yeah. that their, their uh, haunted mansion is kind of the same way as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can see that. I, I can talk differences between the parks all day long. It's a really, <laughs> it's very interesting where they have strengths, uh, and they also have some real weaknesses. Some of their attractions are nowhere near as good as ours. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So while you were working Jungle Cruise, were there any particularly interesting, memorable, and or humorous stories, anything that kind of stands out oh, every, as you were out on the river? Every day. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the great thing about Jungle is, you know, if you have a bad boat, wait eight minutes, you'll have another one to, to have a great opportunity to uh, to go with guests. You know, you always have the um, the normal celebrity moments. I think the one that stands out. Uh, just because of the the time was when Pirates of the Caribbean was coming out. And I was uh, backstage and they said, well, pull a boat on. We have some VIPs. We don't want to load through the main main queue. So I get the boat ready and uh, they load on uh, Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom and all of the uh, studio executives uh, are, I'll jump on the boat and we go out and I take Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom out into the jungle. And then, we, wow. oh, it was, it was fantastic. And, uh, great senses of humor. We docked the boat backstage and then I was promptly beaten to a bloody pulp by every single one of the female skippers who didn't get to take that trip. <laughs> there was a lot of resentment about that one that, that was there. So I'm sure, uh, no, it was, I mean, you, you get to meet people, you get to have a, a great times. Um, you know, it, it's hard doing the spiel as often as you do to say, Oh, I had one time that was really fantastic. Or there were a lot of times where I would do the trips with the, um, interpreters for the deaf, um, mm -hmm. where the interpreter would stand in the front of the boat and I would go out there and do the first three trips, the, you know, the regular way. And then I would change the punchlines on the fourth trip. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I jokingly made a comment about that to the interpreter and they said, Oh, that's okay. We don't do your jokes anyway. We just mostly do our own. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of a funny, uh, kind of a funny time. No, I, you know, it's yeah. the guest interaction. I was a, an area greeter for a while. I, for me, it was just always about the guest interaction and going out there and, you know, making magic for, uh, for the guests and doing things that were unexpected and, and really making people's day, knowing that I probably would never see them again. I had a family actually that I stayed in touch with for like three years. Um, they had come to the park for new year's Eve, 2000, Four or 2005 and uh, uh, we ended up dancing uh, underneath like slow dancing underneath the tiki birds as they were doing their songs uh, at New Year's oh, wow so just randomly <laughs> so yeah no it's all about the guest, the guest interaction mm -hmm. it seems like with the best cast members the ones that you know really stand out in your memories that's the case and so. it was working with the other I mean I I you know, for a number of reasons, I have a large group of uh, uh, of people I've stayed in contact with over the years, uh, just because you know, jungle is really a, a fraternity of of skippers. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's a Facebook group that has like three or 400 people on there that have been skippers from like the eighties to the, to modern day. Wow. Wow. That's pretty good sized group. And it's great that you have that place, especially now with social media where you can have that connection. It's a lot easier, I think, to stay in touch. Facebook has made it really interesting and possible to, uh, uh, to do that. And, and I mean, podcasting, you know, uh, blogs, there's just a huge, uh, ability to take people's uh, fandom to an entirely new and terribly creepy level uh, <laughs> and, and obsessive. Uh, right. Yeah, I've listened to a few of those and read some of those blogs. Yes, they, there are, there, there's a spectrum that's out there. The thing I find interesting on my Twitter feed, uh, by the way, I'm going to let the, the cat out of the bag, Randy. Uh, just for those of you who don't know, I host a podcast on a weekly basis called Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Uh, we document the life of a skipper and interview skips from the 60s to modern day. But I have a Twitter feed, at uh, Skipcast. I think uh, of my 150 followers, about 135 of them have a podcast that is related to <laughs> Disney. Uh, it's just one big mix of uh people who are trying to cross promote to each other. And it's a good thing. I mean, it's, it's, um, but it is interesting that there, there's definitely a lot of content out there that there wasn't, uh, five or 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So now one other particular kind of guest I'm curious about, and I don't know if you had any of these and if you did, if it's something that you're able to talk about, really not, did you ever <laughs> all the time? I was going to say every day, uh, annual passport <laughs> holders. They were great. They would fill our votes all, all during the nights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we can talk about annual pass holders if you want, but they're I, not the ones I had in mind. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love APs. I mean, I, you know, APs can make themselves as uh, as happy of an experience for cast members as they want to, or they can choose to be annoying and, and frustrating. It's all, you know, every, there's a big spectrum of people. Some people feel entitled mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, uh, but for what they're paying for their new uh, prices on the tickets, they can feel entitled if they're dropping 700 bucks a year. That's that's fine. Yeah, that's for sure. There should be little badges that, that you know all the annual pass holders get to wear based on which pass they have so you know what level of entitlement they should really get. Yeah. You know, I, I just wish that they would they would lock the prices in that if you keep your pass at that level down the road that you just pay that that amount as a loyalty reward. Mm, and then, you know, idea. as long as you keep paying at that level, you'll pay at that level until, you know, you forget to make the payment and then your price goes up. Um, yeah, it's it's so difficult. We were talking um, on the show just a couple of days ago about how for the 50th anniversary, it was $50 per day and it's now 137. Mm-hmm. The span of eight years. It's tripled in price. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so. but now the, the uh, group I was actually thinking about was um, Wish Kids. Oh, the, the make, make a wish. Make a wish. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, all the time. All, and actually, I I will say that the Jungle Cruise tended to be uh, an area where we saw a lot of uh, because uh, the boats were fairly easy um, before they had uh, a, a wheelchair accessible boat. They were still fairly easy to load guests with disabilities, um, and because it was thrilling, but it wasn't a roller coaster or a fast moving, uh, you were able to have guests who had maybe some health conditions to come on and, and, uh, really have an experience. So yeah, no, no, it was an area we actually saw quite a bit of that. Hmm. What was that like? Was, I am assuming it was different than taking a boat of guests that, you know, were not wish families through. No, to be quite honest, it's, you know, uh, Jungle Cruise, because it's it's you get 10 minutes, you know, out there with people. I mean, it's enough time to have a little connection, but not 
not a deep one, but you know, at, I will say that obviously they have a a great and fundamental appreciation for the experience that they're having. So, and that, if anything, might make them at least a little bit different than the the average guest. They have a, even a greater awareness and understanding of what they're really getting. Yeah, I mean, it tends to be younger younger guests. Uh, I mean, not all the time, but it t- tends to be a lot of younger guests. So I don't think they have a feel for the Disney history. I think mm-hmm. it was a lot of people who maybe uh, had watched a lot of Disney Channel and had a, a connection to the programming, but may not have had the deeper uh, history of the resort. Uh, but no, of course, I mean, it's it's a, a place where a lot of people choose to uh, uh, to use their Make-A-Wish uh, time is to come to the resort. And, it you know, uh, there's no better situation for people who are in that in that that uh, moment than being able to forget about reality and come to a place of fantasy and magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is there anything else about Jungle Cruise that you want to talk about before we talk about you going to other attractions? No. I, mean, I know you could talk about the jungle forever. I mean, but... Jungle, it's the best attraction at the resorts. Uh, it's, uh, jungle in, in Anaheim is funnier than the one in Orlando. I mean, it's it's the normal uh, it was it was a magical place, and uh, you know I'm actually I feel really kind of honored um, that we've been able to start our oral history of the uh, of the attraction and be able to carry that on in podcast form. I mean it has been uh, we're up to 150,000 downloads and have a you know a very deep following and base, and it's people who really appreciate hearing um, you know, not only the stories about the Jungle Cruise, but I, I think that we tend to have a um, respectful but not necessarily always flattering view of the resort. We have people who, you know, who've been on the podcast who hated working there. And I, I think their stories are just as valid as anyone else's. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, just, I mean, it, yeah, I'm hearing just different perspectives on it. It's always, it's just interesting. You, I don't think that we, uh, you know... I don't think we have only Disney people on the podcast. I think that's kind of a difference of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, for the ones who didn't like working it, is there any kind of commonality that you've heard between them on why? No, you know, it's um, I, I mean, I think every season is different. Every group of cast members are different. Um, and it's tough when you have a lot of 18 to 21 year olds because having a job and respecting the magic and all that isn't their first priority. Their first priority is going to parties on weekends and finding a cute member of the opposite sex to, to hang out with. Mm -hmm. And it's for some people, Disney and Disneyland is just a job. And to some people it's, you know, something that becomes more consuming and more powerful. So that's really the differentiation. Okay. Interesting. Um, So how, why did you end up, Moving from jungle to did you go to Indiana Jones now? Yeah, well, I mean, and it's part of the process with attractions is that you uh, you're cross trained um, usually about one attraction per year. Uh, there's something added to your knowledge, and it's it's a logical thing because it allows other people to have knowledges for staffing requirements and scheduling, but it also diversifies what you're able to do in situations where you know, they need someone in a hurry or they need you to jump from one attraction to the other in the middle of the day. And it's, it's a big, uh, it's just a positive thing in general. So yeah, I mean, over the time that I was there, I, I think I learned a total of eight or nine different, um, specialty areas in the attractions over the the eight years. Wow. So, 
And obviously Jungle Cruise was your favorite. Jungle Cruise was my favorite. And then Disney University. I mean, I really enjoyed being one of the first people that a new cast member would see as they had their orientation and uh, be one of the first people to kind of try to get the Disney spirit into their blood. Right. Yeah, and you had mentioned earlier that if you could go back, that that's the thing that you would be most drawn and, to. You know, it's tough because I love, I love my time on the Jungle Cruise and it was very magical. Um, I think that as you know, nearly 10 years have rolled on from when I had my initial hire at Jungle. Um, I think I would probably uh, still love the time that I had there, but I think I would probably go to the, the Disney University and work as a trainer. That, that would be the role that I would probably most cherish. And I've done other, I mean, I've done photography with the resort. There's a few other little things, but I think that's the thing that I found the most satisfaction out of. What do you think it was that gave you that level of satisfaction from it well i mean you know when you have someone who comes in who you you have a room of 30 or 40 people uh who are all getting trained in my case it was all people who are going into the attractions uh side of the company and you have everyone from people in their 18 19 20 year olds to 50 60 year olds people who um you know it's their first job people who've been lifelong with careers or retired Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant Golf Clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by jewelbeat.com. And now it's time for listener feedback on Stories of the Magic. Okay, so technically this isn't listener feedback since it's my story, but this seems like a good spot to put it. Um, Over the last week of June, my wife and I were on a Disney cruise to the Bahamas on the Disney Dream, and then we spent a couple of days at Walt Disney World. And of course all... And of course all of the cast members were fantastic as usual. But there's a couple that I want to mention, a couple stories that I'd like to tell you from our time at Walt Disney World. First, not much of a story, but just one cast member that I want to particularly highlight 
and uh, draw attention to. And that was uh, Joe from the Be Our Guest restaurant in the New Fantasyland forest area. We didn't really think we were going to get reservations that uh, day, and in fact we didn't, but we did get a walk-up seating for dinner at the Be Our Guest restaurant, and Joe was our server, and he was great. He was fun, he was interesting, he was very personable, Uh, he told us interesting things about the restaurant, but also was uh, very much relating to us one-on-one and not just as guests, but almost as friends, and we really appreciated that. So thank you, Joe. The other ones that we want to mention, unfortunately, we didn't get their names. Uh, And the reason we didn't get their names will become clear as I tell you this brief story. And let me tell you, do not try this on your own trips. Uh, We were very fortunate, but we were taking a big risk here. On our last day at Walt Disney World, uh, our flight was supposed to leave at a little bit before 2 o'clock. It didn't, but that's a whole other story for a completely unrelated podcast. But we decided that we wanted to make at least a quick trip to the Animal Kingdom before getting picked up by Magical Express a little bit before 11. By the time we got down, got our luggage checked in and everything, it was 9 o'clock or so, and we were going from Art of Animation to uh, the Animal Kingdom and back, and we had about an hour and 15 minutes to do that and do what we wanted to do at Animal Kingdom. So we got to Animal Kingdom, obviously no problem with that, and my wife exchanged a shirt that she had bought uh, that ended up being the wrong size. And then we looked at the clock, and I knew that in order to get back in time for Magical Express, we had to be on the bus to leave Animal Kingdom at no later than about 10.20. And at the time, it was 9.55. So we made a quick trip over to Kilimanjaro Safaris because we really wanted to ride that and thought maybe we'd have time. Uh, I used the Lines app from Touring Plans and saw that it was a 10-minute wait. Couldn't remember for sure how long the ride was, but I thought it was about 20 minutes, so we decided to go over and check. We got there. Sure enough, it was about a 20-minute ride and a 10-minute wait, which meant 30 minutes to experience the attraction. Unfortunately, at that point, we had 25 minutes to get back to the bus. And so when I had asked the cast member who was uh, at the front of the line, or you know, the part where you get in line, how long the wait was and how long the attraction was, and he told me, I said, oh, that's too bad. And he asked why. And I told him it was you know, our last day, and we were flying out uh, pretty soon. We had to get back from Magical Express pickup, and so we just weren't going to have time to ride it. Just about that time, another cast member came up, and uh, he said, you know, let me take care of it. And he turned to her and said, would you escort these two up to the front? And as she, she of course said yes, and took us up there, and as we were going up, we explained to her the same thing that we had told him. And so she hurried us up to the front of the line. So basically, we bypassed everyone standing there, and went straight to the loading area. So we got up and had to wait for, I think, the second transport after we got there. Maybe the third one is the one that we got on and got to enjoy Kilimanjaro Safaris. Uh, It was a stressful ride because I kept looking at the clock every time we would stop, but it was still really great to be on there and get to do that. And then we got off, walked as quickly as we could to the front of the park, 
walk to the bus. We actually did, even though you're not supposed to run briefly, because the bus that we needed was pulling away as we were walking up. And I flagged him down. We barely got on. And we got back to Art of Animation about two minutes before we were supposed to be there. So I don't recommend trying that. It was a very stressful way to have the last morning. But we were still glad that we got to go to Animal Kingdom, ride Kilimanjaro Safaris, and we would not have been able to do that if it hadn't been for those two cast members. I wish I had their names, but honestly, we were in such a rush that I don't think I even really looked at a name tag, which uh, is unfortunate, but that's just the way it was. So that was our story of three exceptional cast members at Walt Disney World on our most recent trip. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Kyle Crocker for being my guest, and to you for listening. Be sure to tune in next time for the rest of our conversation. Meanwhile, if you've worked for the Walt Disney Company in any capacity, and you'd like to share a positive story, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY anytime 24 hours a day. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let's talk. Speaking of guests, if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, like what my wife and I had at Walt Disney World, or if you've had any special Disney experience you want to share, I'd love to hear from you too. Email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call that listener feedback line 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. Those help make the podcast more visible, so it's easier for people to find. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. Please like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic. I also want to take a few seconds here and remind you about my friend Debbie's blog, makingmagicandmemories.com. If you want to read some great stories of cast members who have made a difference for guests, either from the cast members themselves or from the guests, check out makingmagicandmemories.com for those stories and more. Finally, this episode has been brought to you by Leaving Conformity Coaching. I've told you in the last couple of episodes about a new free video series I produced for Leaving Conformity Coaching, but frankly, I don't think I've communicated its value very well, so let me try again. This video series grew out of my own experience, as I struggled with uh, finding purpose and uh, dealing with a job that maybe wasn't my favorite, uh, didn't really use the skills and abilities that I felt I had, and I honestly kind of felt like I was wasting time. Uh, it's probably not the best thing to say, but it's true. I really felt like I wasn't making the impact and the difference that I could. And so I realized that 
uh, over time, I, I came to see that part of that, a large part of that, in fact, came from uh, trying to evaluate myself based on performance. I had to be a certain way, accomplish a certain amount. I had, to, I had to do and to be in order to matter and in order for my life to be valuable. And I learned that that's not true. That there is intrinsic value to who I am. And that comes out of some very specific places from very specific reasons. And that affects not only how I do my job, what I consider important, how I spend my time, but it also impacts things like my view of success, my willingness to take risks, accept challenges. Uh, it affects a lot of different things. And all of that is what I explain and walk you through in this video series. So please check that out at storiesofthemagic.com identity and experience it for yourself. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, and this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.